Hey, Changemaker, Julia Wicklander here. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Malia Khan, the new president and CEO of Women Deliver, a global advocacy organization for gender equality and the health and rights of girls and women. Malia has more than 25 years of experience within development and gender equality. She was previously chief program officer at Malala Fund, where she led the strategic direction and effective delivery of the fund's programmatic work to ensure that all girls have access to 12 years of free, safe, and quality education. This was achieved by increasing government's financing of education and removing policy and social barriers. Malia is an international expert in program design and performance, learning and accountability, with a focus on the empowerment of girls and women, and has a PhD from the State University of New York. Malia has designed rights-based programs focused on girls and women, taught as a professor of gender studies, and implemented women's programs in marginalized regions of Pakistan. She has also worked to design and implement complex multi-country systems for large organizations and programs, and she has done so much more. Malia is from Pakistan, and prior to our recording, we bonded a bit over Pakistan as I lived there for a few years when I was a child. And this is a very interesting conversation for me. Having followed Women Deliver's journey for the past 10 years, um, Women Deliver hosts a global conference every three years, and I have had the pleasure of participating in the past three conferences in Kuala Lumpur, Copenhagen, and Vancouver. It is an organization that today supports hundreds of young leaders, activists, advocates, and experts, and has high-level connections in international and national spaces. A few years ago, the organization was brought under fire, like many other organizations in the global development space, because of systemic racism and the white savior complex. Malia and I talk about these issues, and she shares her hopes and ambitions for Women Deliver as an organization and as a convener, and what diversity and inclusion really means. She also shares the story of how her work as a change maker for girls and women began, and some more. Thank you for joining me on this conversation with Malia Khan. Malia, thank you so much for joining me today on the Hey Changemaker podcast. Um, it is a pleasure having you here. Lovely to be here, Julia, and thank you for inviting me. Malia, I, I mean, it is a, a podcast about changemakers for changemakers. So I would love for you to share a story, um, perhaps paint a picture for us when, of a moment when you felt like you just had to become a, a change maker when you felt a moment in your life um, when you felt that, you know, being, creating change for women and girls in particular was something that you were destined for. Yeah. Uh, so that takes me back, Julia, because I actually had that moment quite early on uh, in my career and actually, you know, right at the start of it. Um, so I was uh, born and raised and educated in, in Pakistan. Um, that's where I'm from. I still have my Pakistani passport, uh, despite being a global citizen now. And um, and then, but I was like many, many, uh, you know, sort of young people uh, coming from low uh, and middle income countries. I was relatively privileged myself. Um, so, you know, from a middle class family, my father was a professional uh, working with the government. Um, and I didn't quite realize the reality of Pakistan's poverty um, and the real class distinctions. Um, and, and really, to, to a huge extent, like many people in my, in my position, I didn't realize my own privilege either. Right? Um, and I just fell upon a career um, that was kind of working in international development. But it wasn't from any true understanding of what international development does. Um, or why it does it. Um, I really fell into it because, you know, my grades weren't very good because um, I wasn't very interested in, in, in studying, despite the fact that I now have a doctorate. Don't even ask me how that happened. Um, <laughs> but but I, I, and I didn't really want a, a, a very desk job type of thing. I wasn't really qualified to go work with the multinational, et cetera, because I didn't really have the grades. And that just, it just sort of, you know, presented itself by happen chance. 
But once I got into it, uh, one of the things I was able to do, uh, and, and I consider this like the biggest privilege of my life, is the first three, three and a half, four years of my career were spent traveling all over the country, being paid to go from village to village, uh, spending considerable amounts of time just hanging out um, in these villages, talking to girls and women. This was a time when Pakistan uh, and, and many, many other countries, the international donors suddenly remembered that, you know, oh my God, there's women too, and we must include them in our projects. And in a context like Pakistan, only women can talk to women. A man cannot go and speak to a girl or a woman in a strange village. You can only talk to your relatives. And so people like me with no qualifications and no experience, uh, and the fact that we were a woman who could, who was willing to travel, that was a big thing, whose families gave them permission to travel around in these rural areas. And that was an even bigger thing, believe it or not. Mm. Um, and who could speak and write English. And that was my sole qualifications. So I fell upon this job. Um, I traveled from, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of village to village. And I spent, you know, three and a half to four years literally speaking to thousands of girls and women about their lives. Um, and that was the moment where, you know, it just really, just really sank in. Like, there is so much inequality. There is so much injustice. There are so many things that these girls and women struggle with in their daily lives that, you know, you just, even then, as a Pakistani, uh, I was just astounded as to why these things, you know, why, why does it need to be that? And, and, and that was the moment where I decided that, you know, this is the career for me, even if I had sort of fallen upon it initially by happy chance, that this is something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to understand why these inequalities happened, why, uh, you know, uh, girls and women had to struggle with basic things like water, uh, education, health, access to health care, uh, things that we, even, even I as a middle-class Pakistani, took completely for granted. Uh, were things that they struggled with on a daily basis. And that sometimes, you know, resulted in, in life and death decisions, which again was absolutely astounding to me. So that's my, you know, rather unglamorous arrival. It wasn't one moment or anything. It was just like, this is something that I just have to, I just get angry about, I, to be honest with you, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And once you get angry about something, then you feel you must change it. Uh, and and that I've held back for the last 30 years that I've been working in this field. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that, Malia, and, and just as well, you know, sharing how, how it builds up within you um, and, and the learnings that you've had along the way as well. Um, and you have had an extensive career working uh, within development, gender equality and human rights for women and girls in particular. And recently you've embarked upon a new uh, challenge, taking over or leading the work as president and CEO for Women Deliver. Um, can you share a little bit more about the mission of Women Deliver and what your hopes are for this ne next chapter for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Women Deliver is a relatively young organization. It's only been around for about 14 years. But in that time, it has really created a brand and, and a place for itself uh, within the international development sector. Um, I, you know, now say that if Women Deliver didn't exist, someone would need to invent it. Uh, because I think it does fill a real niche. And what Women Deliver does, and its mission, is really to be an advocate for the for girls and women realizing the full extent of their sexual reproductive health and rights to whatever uh, needs they might have um, in whatever identity they or, or context um, uh, they find themselves in. And that's really important because I think that sexual reproductive health and rights is something that's really under attack now from the far right. Mm. And that uh, Because it, it, it's about girls and women's autonomy and bodily integrity. Um, and without realizing that, gender equality will always, always be, you know, a, a dream. Uh, you cannot have gender equality without realizing the full suite of sexual reproductive health and rights. And that starts from puberty and adolescence. Uh, which we often forget. <laughs> we often forget adolescent girls when we are talking about that. We often envision, you know, sort of married women and them having access to uh, reproductive health services and, and so forth. 
But really, it should start at that and actually go till post-reproductive um, age. So we're also talking about older girls and women uh, and, and them realizing their rights. The other thing that you know, Women Deliver tries to do, and, and I feel very strongly about this, is having a very broad definition of who is a girl and who is a woman. I think we've gotten into sort of uh, culture wars around this and definitional issues, which are just absolutely ludicrous. But to, yeah. to me and to us, it is about anyone who identifies as a girl or a woman, anyone who others identify as a girl or a woman, or anyone who's actually had lived experience as a girl or a woman, because that is, as we know, such a defining thing within society, no matter which society you live in. Um, and so Women Deliver is, is about advocating for the rights of all uh, girls and women, no matter what their identities. Mm. Amazing. Thank you. And a couple of years ago, prior to you joining the organization, um, Women Deliver faced strong criticism for racism, for its sort of white savior complex. Um, and a letter of solidarity was uh, signed by over 100 Women Deliver young leaders from around the world. Um, and there was also criticism that the investigation that followed didn't really take accountability seriously. Um, and this all happened just a few years before you joined the organization. So what will you do to make sure that um, these systemic issues don't prevail and, and really um, you know, are taken seriously within the organization? Yeah, so uh, Julia, that's a really great question. And it was very public. Um, so, you know, there's no, uh, you know, we, we have to face the, the, the experiences that Women Deliver went through. Um, and, you know, to me, there's there's a few things I want to say about that. One is to acknowledge the real work that was done prior to me joining. So I've been here about seven months. Women Deliver went through a year and a half to two years of intense introspective, you know, sort of real questioning and had some very hard, you know, sort of conversations internally uh, amongst mm -hmm. itself. Um, it went through a lot of change, a lot of, uh, you know, in the criticism, a lot of donors pulled out, a lot of funding was removed, um, you know, a lot of uh, staff uh, left the organization, uh, et cetera. And it, it had to go through a year and a half of really, you know, thinking about what it is, what it was about as an organization, why it did the things it did, what type of organization it wanted to be. And also the real question was asked, should it even still continue to exist? Um, and I think that, you know, it's emerged out of that year and a half of, of deep uh, sort of um, reflection with a renewed sense of itself, with an, a complete and utter acknowledgement of the wrongs that were done in the past, and a real energy to right those wrongs going forward. And I, and I have to pay tribute to the leadership that went before me, uh, who really went through this process, and the staff who remained at Women Deliver, and those who left also because they felt they couldn't continue with it, or they, you know, they, it just wasn't the right place for them. Um, and, and so when I joined Women Deliver, uh, you know, it was an organization that had done one, the first step of, of, of what I feel most organizations in, in international development need to do, right? But that's the first step. It's having the hard discussion, the really difficult discussion with yourself. Um, and it is traumatic. It is, you know, emotional um, and, and all of those things. What needs to happen now, and which is what I'm trying to do, is, you know, uh, move from the introspective conversation to, okay, if we are actually wanting to be this new type of organization, what does it take and how will we do it? And this is really uncharted territory because I wish, really, I could tell you that, oh, there is an organization in development that's, that's gone through it or just always had it right or just you know, has, 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 has this blueprint. And to be honest with you, there isn't. And I've worked in this field for a really long time. Um, there's some who have addressed it better than others, but by and large as a sector, we're still struggling with our colonial legacy. International development is a very colonial enterprise with our white feminism. Um, and to be honest with you, with, with deep suits, you know, deep seated and deep rooted racism. Uh, so much of, of the ways, uh, so much of our language, the ways we operate are, are you know, embedded in that. Um, so what I'm trying to do now, along with the enthusiastic support and a lot of energy 
and thought leadership from the staff and other partners, particularly the young leaders, as you as you so rightly pointed out, they're always out there uh, holding us to account, but also being incredibly supportive now that they're seeing the change and coming forward and say, how can we engage with you and how can we actually create what this new future looks like? So we're, in Women Deliver, we're taking this next step of the transition in, in, in three areas. One, we want to change our narrative. I think what we say and how we say it is really, really important. Ma words matter. Um, so things like, simple things like, you know, that I know I gave you that long definition of who's a girl and who's a woman, right? But it matters. It matters to people in real life. Who are you defining as that? Um, the type of language you use. Are we being accessible in our language or not? Or are we being exclusionary in our language? Um, the type of products we produce. Who are they accessible to? How do we describe things? How do we describe ourselves? What do we say our mission is? All of those things, you know, we, in international development, you get too much into plastic talk. We have all these terms like women and girls and all their intersecting identities. Well, what do you mean by that? I mean, seriously, like to, 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 to someone who's, you know, living these, these lived realities. So changing, slowly changing our narrative and the way we describe ourselves and our work is really important. And that's the first one. The second one uh, that we're really trying to do is change the work way that we do our work. And I'll talk a little bit about, for instance, the Women Deliver Conference 2023 that's coming up um, uh, and how we sort of went about doing that differently as an example. But we're really yeah, trying, we'll come to that. Yeah, we'll come to that. <laughs> we're really trying to do things differently. We are trying to deposition ourselves from being experts in the center of the advocacy to using our position to center uh, others and their expertise and their lived realities. Uh, the ones who are the most proximate to, to the change that we all want to see, right? So, 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 that, so that's the second thing. The third thing, and this is the hardest one, is we have business models and operating models in international development that have to deal with things like legal requirements and financial requirements and you know, being incorporated as an NGO and having to do certain types of reports, et cetera. And we don't actually have very good operational models out there for what a truly global, you know, um, uh, INGO of the 21st century looks like. Because you have to be either registered in, in, you have to be registered in a country in order to employ people. We know how difficult, you know, being able to identify, say, someone who doesn't have the legal right to work in certain countries, we identify them as being the best employee. How do we get them to where we're, you know, legally incorporated to employ people um, so that they could be, you know, sort of immigration restrictions are so great that you just kind of have to give up the ghost <laughs> on, in, in most of these cases and say, like, no, we, we can't do it. Um, and so, how, and so we have to work towards creating this this type of organization. And the other thing, and of course, you know, with the pandemic, um, we have to create a virtual, uh, you know, an organization that can work virtually, but at the same time still have a culture uh, and a seatedness in something. So those are the three things that we're working on that we feel is the second, you know, sort of phase of this transition from being. Uh, a really problematic uh, sort of organization within international development to one that, you know, really adheres to our principles and is, is fit for the 21st century. The one thing I will say, though, having said all that, is I think the industry in general is really problematic. And I don't think Women Deliver was particularly bad relative to others. That doesn't excuse it. That doesn't mean we put up with it. Um, but I really do want to say that we have to hold up the mirror to so many other organizations who, and, and, and this is my opinion, but I'll state it, who at the moment are doing very performative uh, diversity and inclusion exercises, but are not really, really changing who they are and what they stand for as an organization. Hmm. 
Thank you for that. Uh, I mean, we could definitely do a follow-up uh, session with lots of advice for other leaders who are, um, who, and include some other people in this conversation as we take it forward. But I really appreciate what you're saying. And, um, and one thing that you said in, um, or wrote in, in a statement that was published on Women Deliver's website, I'll read that you wrote, uh, and quote, I believe Women Deliver has the potential to take the lead on radically cha challenging the status quo and addressing the real and perceived binaries between global north and global south, younger and older, that continue to stifle our collective impact within the global development sector. So very much what you're already saying. Um, and can you elaborate a little bit about what that can look like in addressing the power gap between the global north and global south? Because Women Deliver, I mean, you, is registered in the U.S., has an office in New York um, and has, you know, young leaders across the world. Um, can you share maybe, I mean, you've spoken a little bit about this, but can you share one a practical example of, of what Women Deliver is doing um, to sort of bridge that gap, uh, that power, power gap that exists? Yeah, so um, I think an important thing to realize, and this is something I realized, you know, a long time ago, but I think international development is realizing slowly over time, is that if our main purpose is to bring change in, you know, low and middle income countries to to bridge, you know, inequality gaps uh, and to right injustices uh, that we're doing. The real power for that work actually lies in those low and middle income countries. And that people from the global north, despite whatever they might perceive, actually are doing very little in that area, right? Um, and there's a perception that, you know, the global north controls the money. The global north has the knowledge. The global north has skills. They don't. They have the money, the knowledge, and the skills to run the international development industry, but not to actually bring about change in these other contexts. Change happens in many, many multiple ways, right? So even when we start to think about things like the global north controls the funds, the global north controls I mean, okay, so I, just before coming to Women Deliver, I was working at, at the Malala Fund, which focused on girls' education. And uh, I was once at a, at, a, at a conference, and there was someone from a large multilateral organization that was, that was talking about the, their, their education portfolio and how many, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars they were putting into this education initiative and that education initiative and what tremendous impact all of that was having. And while I was sitting in that audience, I did a quick Google and realized that all the figures that they were quoting were less than the annual, but the annual budget of one state in India, education budget. One state, not even all of India, not even all of the global, you know, not even all of the low and middle income countries. So, so when you start to think about who has the greatest impact on the things that really matter, it is actually national governments. And the funds that they are putting it in, it is national movements. It is, you know, the sort of sort of social change that happens through media, through intergenerational, you know, sort of conversations, through education, through uh, the the prevalence of digital technology, the content that's being created around that, and all of these other things. We're very very small players. So when you say how do we right that wrong, to me it's just acknowledge that our job depends on these things. Yeah. We, they, you know, our clients are in low and middle income countries. The real knowledge and skills beyond how do we run our industry, the real knowledge and skills and lived realities actually reside in low and middle income countries. And so when you, as soon as you put that mindset on, you become very humble in your own lack of knowledge, lack of skills, and how paltry an amount, uh, you know, the financial resources you're actually uh, commanding. Um, and if you then go into, well, what role should you play then? That just suddenly crystallizes. You're not the change maker. You're not powerful. You can play a facilitative role. Um, and that is what you should be doing. So to me, that is how we would right the wrong uh, in the past of actually acknowledging our position, 
acknowledging the incredibly vital position that people like young leaders play. And, you know, by calling them young leaders, we're kind of owning them and owning their agency and their experience and the incredible work that they're doing, which I don't want to do, right? I don't at all want to do. They were incredible activists way before they became young leaders. They would have remained incredible activists even if they weren't young leaders. We're playing a very, very small role in their journey as agents of change. And I'm very proud of that role. And I would like to continue to play it. And I know that they are very you know, appreciative of that role. So I don't want to downplay that. I also want to put it into perspective. Mm. Thank you so much for that. I think as well as, I mean, what what's happening in the US and across Europe and now in my country, Sweden, after this election, the horrible outcome that we've had here, I think we're all also in this reckoning of, you know, we have our issues and we've had you know, racism as a part of our cultures and as part of the work that we've been doing within global development for a very long time. And this is just, you know, it's coming to the surface in all aspects of, of society. Um, and it's just this reckoning that we have to acknowledge and deal with. So thank you for just crystallizing that. Um, and on the topic of, of young leaders, I want to share a story um, of Girls Globe and, and Women Deliver. So Girls Globe was really started as a personal blog that I that I had back in, in 2011. I was working within the UN and um, through social media, got in touch with, with other sort of very passionate activists, advocates, experts in their own right uh, from around the world. And we saw that Women Deliver was going to host a conference in um, Kuala Lumpur. So we got together over Zoom and our Zoom wasn't Skype back then. And, <laughs> and remember Skype? Remember Skype. <laughs> and um, yeah, we're in touch and, uh, and started a crowdfunding campaign and made lots of noise on social media. And back then, I mean, social media was still quite new in this, this sector. Um, and yeah, we made a lot of noise and, and got invited by the Women Deliver team. And they actually stood for the majority of our costs to come. And that was when the Women Deliver, uh, the Girls Globe team back then met each other for the first time. So we came from different countries and um, were invited to lead a lot of the communications work and support, you know, um, the interviews that were being done. And it was, a, a you know, a great experience. And it really just showed sort of the um, the opportunities that are there for the include, like including the young people who are leading um, in their different fields. Um, and then as over the next two conferences, unfortunately, Girls Globe didn't have a direct partnership with Women Deliver. Um, and we could also see sort of the Women Deliver young leader cohorts growing from uh, a reasonable small group to over 300 uh, individuals. And a lot of people started to feel perhaps that youth engagement um, was just they had experiences of of tokenism and didn't really feel that there was true inclusion so when it comes to young people and including them and truly letting them lead um how will women deliver move forward to ensure that youth engagement truly is meaningful you know the first thing uh, that i would like to do and i'd like the sector to do but we're certainly going to try to do it women deliver is 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 stop talking about meaningful youth engagement. You know, the way I put it um, is if there's something that is about me, truly affects me as an individual with my identities where I am, and someone comes to me and says, I'm going to make this change that's related to what you are about, but I want to meaningfully engage you in it. I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be offended and tell them to off, right? <laughs> yeah. Or even if they came to me and said, I want to offer you co-leadership. This issue isn't mine, but I'm going to meddle in it anyway, but I want you to have co-leadership in it. I'd still tell them to off. Hmm. Because this is my issue. This is, this is my life. I have agency. I have the ability to act on it. I have knowledge. I have knowledge you need. I have skills you need, right? You have very little of what I need. 
So don't offer me meaningful engagement. Do not offer me co-leadership. Actually, step out of the way. And if you really want to help, then provide me with a platform. Or stop crowding the platforms, you know, create some space in it for me. Um, share some of the resources that you're getting in my name. Actually share some of them with me <laughs> so I can do my work instead of you doing your work, meaningfully engaging me, getting all the credit for it, and then moving on. Um, so the first thing I would love to do is actually stop using these terms and just say youth leadership. But also then start to recognize that youths are not an homogenous whole. We put, we, we lump anyone under a certain age into this youth category. And as long as we have some people under that age, even if they happen to be, you know, more urban, middle-class, educated, privileged, yeah. which described me, I know it described me when I was talking about my journey, but still. Yeah, um, and, and me. And, 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 and we say, yeah, well, we got youth. We got youth. It's all good. They are, they're representing this whole, you know, 1.8 billion uh, people on, on earth with these, you know, handful of people. And, 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 and we bring the same people again and again to the same conferences, to the same forums and say, and now we've meaningfully engaged with youth. If we really want to change this narrative, we've got to... One, stop treating youth as a homogenous whole. Two, stop tokenizing them and engaging with them and actually recognize that they're a constituency with their own rights, their own, you know, uh, fallacies, <laughs> their own foibles, but also their own agency and, and, and allow them that space to, to, be, to, to occupy that space of leadership um, for the issues that they want to advocate on and they want to change. Because so many of the things that we're working on right now affect people of a certain age much more than they affect people of my age. Okay. So the climate crisis, that's huge. It's hugely more going to, it's going to impact, you know, people of a certain age much more than it's going to impact me. Uh, sexual reproductive health and rights, right? Who needs it the most? Who needs their agency uh, around that the most? It's, it's, it's younger, it's, it's adolescent girls. Because by the time we get to them and give them their bodily autonomy and all that, all the bad things that are going to happen to them, you know, early marriage, early childbirth, uh, sexual harassment, not knowing how to deal with their own sexuality, um, already starting to feel, you know, this closed world around them because they're a girl, because of their bodily integrity, um, their, their world narrows down and, and redefines. Why don't we just give them the leadership and actually allow them to define their own world? So the steps we're gonna take, and I can talk about the concrete steps we're taking, for instance, for the Women Deliver Conference. First of all, we have a, 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 you know, a partnership with Girl Globe, Girl, and we, welcome you back uh, and want you to take the lead in, in how we're you know, talking about and defining and, and narrating the content of the conference and what is you know, significant and meaningful there um, mm -hmm. uh, with, with, with others also uh, as we define it. But, but you know, one of the, some of the sort of concrete steps we've taken in that is for instance, this time uh, for the Women Deliver Conference, we have an advisory group uh, yeah. that consists of you know, 60 individuals across 30 organizations. Um, and we have, uh, you know, we've intentionally kept, you know, uh, spaces for youth in that so that they are, they are part of that conversation about how do we define the conference. We have a separate youth committee who are defining, you know, issues that are related to, uh, you know, a certain demographic, the youth, uh, and, and issues that are most pertinent to them that will be sort of programming that throughout the conference not so it isn't just oh here's a youth zone you know and you guys go and hang out there and do some karaoke uh, but you know throughout every element of the conference we are in addition to that of also defining a dedicated youth zone uh, which will have programming and other activities which will be led by uh, that same committee and defined by them um, in it so we hope that you know through these through these um, means uh, we're, we're, we're moving beyond that tokenization and actually 
you know, fostering that intergenerational conversation, which absolutely needs to happen, which isn't, you know, middle-aged person, middle-aged person, middle-aged person, expert with big titles, and one young person who sits there at the end and makes some statement. And that's, you know, all the panels you see now. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I um, am also just, it's been great to participate in the advisory group. Um, and Girls Globe has a, a part in that. And I really appreciate the um, the inclusion and diversity that you've really, um, you know, created in that that group um, and the reckoning that is sort of taking place in the conversations that we have there. I think it's it's been great to to witness and and participate in that. Um, and it's really exciting to see the Women Deliver Conference that is coming up WD 2023 um, in this critical time um, post pandemic or still within a pandemic um, and all of the issues that that has had on on women and girls across the world, um, you know, with with peace and, and security, um, but also sort of speci- especially the the. Um, pushbacks on on women's rights, on on sexual and reproductive health and rights um, in in several different countries that have really overshadowed the the positive change that also happens in in other parts of the world. Um, so, can you share a little bit about the different stakeholders that will participate in the conference and and what your hope will be for the outcome of the conference of of the Women Deliver twenty twenty three conference in Kigali. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's really exciting. And if I can put a plug in, uh, everyone, it's July 2023 in Kigali. Please come. Um, welcoming everybody there. We hope to have over uh, between five to 6,000 people participating and uh, really having the energy to go forward. So in terms of the objectives for the conference of all the outcomes we want to see, um, we strongly, strongly believe in the power of convening. The power of people getting together in crowds, of 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 talking to each other face to face, or as we're doing now virtually, because we're going to have a big virtual component of it too. But but fostering those sort of very very important conversations, and we know, and and if and, and the last few years has taught us anything, it is the power of trust and connection that's fostered by actually getting together. Um, so we hope that the convening, um, which is the which is you know. Um, one of the biggest ones that's focused on gender equality at large with a folk, with a explicit angle on sexual reproductive health and rights, with a full suite of sexual reproductive health and rights. And then that's really important to say in this day and age, as you, as you also pointed out, with this pushback that we're facing uh, around it. Um, and so some of the constituents that come there, of course, the vast majority of people, we hope, um, and has been in the past, and we hope will be in this uh, conference too, are activists and advocates from the global uh, South, from low and middle income countries. And we intentionally decided to hold it for the first time in the African continent in Kigali because uh, of so many of the accessibility issues that we're seeing in large convenings recently. Uh, Visa regimes are becoming so much more difficult and we saw with a few of these big conferences that happened uh, over the last few months that, you know, even very prominent people were being harassed and denied visas on, you know, and in, in, in entry in, in, in countries, et cetera. Um, and so one of the things about Kigali is that uh, it's a visa on arrival for almost everybody. Uh, you know, so 95% of the participants we hope will be able to have that. And in fact, most will be able to, if you're from the African Union or the Commonwealth, you get visa on arrival for free. And let's not downplay the importance of that in this day and age of, you know, closing borders and and yeah. and, and the difficulties in, in travel. I know, uh, you know, when I used to travel on my Pakistani passport exclusively, when that was the only citizenship I held, how difficult it was. The months and months and months of endeavor a single visa uh, used to take. It's, it's it, People who haven't experienced it have no idea of the mm-hmm. side uh, and discrimination that, that comes with the, with the passport. Um, yeah. so, so, so that's one. The other is uh, we hope to have a very large youth contingent. Uh, we have had in the past, but we hope that this time it's even larger. 
but also is really running the show. And I think that's part of what gives Women Deliver a real energy um, and a real dynamism that, that, you know, you don't necessarily get in other sort of large convenings. Um, so, so that, but in addition to that, and this is one thing, you know, um, I've been saying very consistently, uh, whenever someone in a leadership position asks me, uh, should I come to X conference or Y conference, particularly should I come to Women Deliver? I'm mean, trying to do things differently in our organization. Uh, we want, you know, others to be participating and so should, as a leader, should I still come to, to these types of convenings? And my answer is emphatically yes. Because the activists and advocates out there, they don't want to talk to themselves. They want this to be a moment to have a meaningful dialogue with those that hold power so that there can be an exchange of ideas, a changing of minds, uh, and a moment of accountability. And that's what we hope Women Deliver is going to be about. So we're encouraging uh, you know, uh, leadership from the international development sector to come leadership from uh, the UN to, to come, uh, political leadership. We hope to still be able to attract the many, many parliamentarians and ministers that have always traditionally come to Women Deliver. We are you know, creating the space for them to come. But the one thing we're asking all of them to do is come to show up differently, to not just come present at their panel and then have a, a few bilateral meetings amongst themselves with other people that they're, that's convenient to meet, and then leave. We want them to sit in these spaces, to have those discussions, and to really take value from them. Because the one thing that, that, that most of these people, and I know from my own position now, I'm not that, that big a leader or whatever, but it's hard to just talk to all sorts of different people. Your, your days are so programmed, your, you know, your ability to you have exchanges with people you're not having to have, you know, a very transactional moment with because you have, you know, so much of uh, so many things you have to do and deliver. It's really difficult. So, you know, I really encourage everybody to take this opportunity to have conversations, just appear at a coffee place and chat, talk to the person, you know, who, who just is getting a cup of coffee next to you or sit down in a session and hear the speakers, walk up to them afterwards and have a discussion with them or chat with the person who's next to you. I always try to do that in these convenings and I gain so much from it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, convening and getting together, it just really does create this atmosphere for building solidarity and energy for growing a movement of change. And I think that that's uh, what Women Deliver really does have the potential to do, to build really strong movements of change with the different stakeholders that are in attendance. Um, so I'm really excited about the conference that's coming up and, and particularly excited about Girls Globe and, and the role that we'll have with sort of media and uh, ensuring that, you know, the, the amazing young people from East Africa and, and other parts of the world who are there who will be a part of, of leading that media coverage and the important conversations that we can capture um, to sort of live on beyond beyond the conference um, and just keep keep that accountability go going. And, um, and I hope that 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 the ones who do come and and I particularly would love for Girl Globe to to really also focus on creating different types of content too, to move beyond the traditional media. I, I have an utter fascination with some of the new types of uh, social media that are coming up, particularly things like TikTok, which I, I feel is by far the most democratic of all the social media platforms because it doesn't need a certain level of literacy or production value. It's very immediate. It can reach a much, much wider audience. So my challenge to Girls Globe when they come to Women Deliver is let's try to reach as wide an audience with the messages and the content that is being created with these, you know, 6,000 amazing people that are gathering in Kigali and really push it out there, but in, in, in really imaginative ways. Mm, mm. Yeah, you'll just witness it. <laughs> Wait and see the amazing that they'll create. Um, yeah, yeah, no. Um, DIYing social media stuff has always been the way we we go and um, and has really been the way that we've seen the greatest impact. So, yeah, I appreciate that challenge. Um, so moving back to yourself and yes. and I just really want to thank you um, 
for the openness that you've had during this conversation, really um, sharing what your hopes for and the issues that you're really taking seriously. Um, if you look back at yourself as you embarked upon the challenge of being a change maker, what did what do you wish that you knew? What advice would you give yourself as uh, you know uh, a young change maker? moving across uh, rural areas in Pakistan, speaking to women and girls, what, what would you wish you knew? So much. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, when I think back about that person, I could never have imagined myself in this, in this position. Never. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely uh, mind-blowing uh, what, you know, the changes that we've seen uh the the progress that that's been possible and 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 despite you know as you said the far right and the pushback and all of those things yes there's 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 terrible you know calamities that we're facing also but we really have to look back at the last 30 to 40 years and look at the progress the tremendous change that we've seen i when i was this young pakistani woman 21 22 wandering around uh you know pakistan i was really doing it because I didn't want to get married. And if I didn't have a job, that's what was in store for me, like, you know, an arranged marriage um, with, with someone um, and, and, and no, you know, like no thought about a professional future at all. So to me, it was just this like, oh God, I got to do this. Oh, I can do this job. It gets me out. It's interesting. Cool. Never in my wildest dreams would I have imagined that, you know, so many years later, I'd be sitting here uh, working in global capitals, really being able to, you know, push some of the agendas that are meaningful um, across the world. Um, and so I was recently on a panel uh, with someone. Um, we were talking about mental health and she was talking about her own struggle uh, and journey with that. And she ended her talk with this, you know, with this phrase, which is for some reason just really stuck with me um, these last few months and I can't get it out of my head. So I'll put it out there. It's, it's that um, hope is real and change is possible. Mm. So that's what I would wish, you know, I had really truly believed in back then. Mm. And that's the message I would love to give, you know, all the people who listen here, uh, particularly as we think about the food crisis and the climate crisis and this, far right anti rights movement that's pushing back against all the gains we've made and all the other things that are happening, the pandemic. And, and imagine like I just listed all these things and the pandemic is at the bottom of them. I do put the mm -hmm. pandemic at the bottom of them, but it's, you know, we are facing all yeah. these things, but at the same time, tremendous change, mm. tremendous positive change. Mm. Hope. And change is possible. Uh, I mean, it's an incredibly optimistic and hopeful worldview. And I, I love that. I think that that's something that we need as change makers. Otherwise, there's there's really no point. Okay. So um, lastly, you are leading a global organization and you have a huge global conference that you're a part of planning um, on the intersections of gender equality, sexual reproductive health and rights, economic justice, climate justice. Um, and you spoke about, you know, busy schedules and all the things that you have to do. So how do you take care of yourself as a change maker today? Oh gosh, I do two things. One, I focus on my family, which keeps it real, right? Um, a little glimpse of my dog over there. There's a whole family I did too. Um, and and then I do two things. I, I I take time off when I need it, and I and and that's a message I would send to all the other change makers out of out there. Um, you know, change will also wait. The world will wait. You've got to sort of take care of yourself. So whether whatever whatever it is, whether it's making bread or watching absolutely trash TV, which is my guilty pleasure. Um, I was watching I last night instead of preparing for this. For this interview and other things I had to do today, I decided to watch, uh, you know, episodes of the Great British Bake Off that I hadn't seen and I was missing. Um, uh, so, so that's how I take care of myself. Oh, mm. and remember to go to the gym. Yeah, 
Oh, I love that. Thank you for, for making it real and, and reminding ourselves to take care of ourselves um, as well. I think it's, it's such an important uh, part of the conversations of change makers. And change can wait, but change is also not dependent on us as well. I mean, we are many and we're working together. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing, Malia, and I'm looking forward to this next chap chapter that you're leading with, with Women Deliver. And, and I really thank you for inviting me to have this talk. Uh, really look forward to meeting you and the other people from Girls Globe and in Kigali. And I hope uh, meeting many, many of your listeners there also. Everyone's yeah. invited to the party in Kigali. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Malia and I for this conversation today. The work she's leading with Women Deliver can be of tremendous importance for gender equality and sexual and reproductive health coming out of the years of this pandemic and in light of the pushback on women's rights that we're witnessing right now. If you are interested in joining the conference, whether in person or virtually, go to wd2023.org to sign up. Girls Globe will also be there as a media partner at the conference with the opportunity to host some important conversations and create content that can really be part of creating ripple effects across the world. Right now, Girls Globe has a couple of spots available on our conference crew for media-savvy feminist activists or advocates in Rwanda or across East Africa. To help us lead our media coverage at the Women Deliver 2023 conference. If you are interested in joining our crew or know someone who would be a great fit to join us, please recommend this to them. And send us a letter of interest and your resume to info at girlsglobe.org. It is my hope that the Women Deliver 2023 conference will be a true opportunity to mobilize and to create solidarity for gender equality, human rights, social justice, and sustainability. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Hey Changemaker with me, Julia Wicklander. It's been an honor to have you along with me, learning and growing as a changemaker. If you know of anyone who would appreciate to join us on this journey, please share this episode with them. And if you enjoyed this episode, please, please rate and review this podcast. That way, more people can find it. Let's build solidarity to create ripple effects of positive change around the world. Remember, you are powerful. You're a change maker. <laughs>